This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, mm. hit play. And then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your host, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield and Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, the show about the soundtrack of your life. Maggie Mayfield, your host, with David Earl Waterman, a.k.a. Hollywood's secret weapon, holding down the fort. And today's guest, all the way from Boston, Massachusetts, Johnny Rely. Welcome to the show, my friend. Rely. Rely. It's like Eli with an R. Johnny Rely. I'm actually in Rhode Island. I'm in Newport, Rhode Island right now. Ooh. Nobody cares about Rhode Island. They, no one even knows what Rhode Island even really is. It's like just Boston is more of a, a geographical rep. The weirdest place you'll ever visit. Rhode Island? Yeah. Well, I'm like the one normal person like in this whole state. Like, I'm surrounded by weirdos. Oh, okay. Well, um, let's, let's begin the show as we typically do uh, by just uh, letting folks know how you came to the show. How, how was it that, that you and I met and know each other? <laughs> we met, uh, how did we meet? When you were in Cross Comedy. Ah, no, maybe. that's not true. Through Chris Warford. We met through Jane Winkle. We met through Jane? Yeah, because I was, uh, I, I was uh, in college and I dropped out of college to move in with your bandmates. The Dog Pounds. The dog pound. Before the dog pound was the dog pound, and before I even, you know, was working with David Cross and Louis C.K. and Sarah Silverman. And, before uh, I moved and, into the closet. Before you moved into the closet of that very thing. And, I and, was in the closet there for a while. And, literally and, in the closet. In the closet. It was literally walking. in the closet. And you would come out of that closet every day in, in your own special way. Like a Harry Potter closet? A little... Yeah, a little bigger. It didn't have the stairs going over the top, so it had a full roof. Okay, good. So we could stand. I, I, yeah. I didn't have the wedge. Good. <laughs> and I move in with these guys on a whim after dropping out of college. A, a mutual friend of Johnny's and mine, Jane Winkle, said, hey, I know some guys who need a roommate. And I thought, well, I'm available. And and, and I moved in, and, um, and I was going through, uh, just so I can kind of freshen up this story for you, Johnny. I know you're getting a little bit older and up in years, and your memory is always as clear as might have been. But um, I, I was going through some emotional stuff, Maggie, and our listeners, you know, as, as, as is the case. And I couldn't have been more blessed at that time in my life to have moved in with musicians, creative people, um, all of whom were very generous and kind. With the exception of Johnny Reli, who, who was generous and kind, but he also had kind of a big brother attitude. And unlike the other members of the, of the, the household, which I didn't fully disclose, like, hey, I'm having some emotional problems. I'm kind of depressed. Things aren't really working out in my life. I'm kind of freaking out. I dropped out of college. I didn't share that stuff, but I think Johnny has this sixth sense. And um, I was kind of wandering around the, the living room and taking care of getting my room set up. And uh, these are the days before cell phones. And uh, one of our roommates, Dan Shaw, said, hey, Dave, <clears throat> uh, I, I think your mother called. And I was like, oh, really? Um, wow, OK. Did she leave a message? And Johnny Rely, I'd only known for five minutes, he said, yeah, she said you forgot your boxed lunch. <laughs> Which might sound mean. But it was, he said it with that very smile. We're seeing him smile in this very moment, <sighs> which indicated to me, this guy has a sense that I'm a little bit out of sorts and he's fucking with me. And I just started laughing. And from that moment on, Johnny is one of the very few people on the face of the planet Earth, besides you as well, Maggie, very few people that I've never been crossways with, ever. There has never been any kind of a, an argument or uh, um, you know, artistic differences or anything like that. So, Johnny, tell us a little bit about how you got started in music, where that journey has taken you, and 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 where you are today in your life. You know, just take about five minutes and, and get us all up to speed, or less. Um, it's taking me, and uh, as David Byrne said, I'm on the road to nowhere. <laughs> but, uh, 
um, and it's a long story. It's it's a really long story. I'm just probably like most people, like when I, I was always, you know, a singer. Um, I got kicked out of the first band I was ever in because they said I couldn't sing. What was the name of the band? The name of the band? It didn't even have a name yet. It was like oh. two rehearsals and they kicked me out and the bass player ended up being the singer. Lame. And then, then, then well, then I started a band in high school with like, you know, my my best friends. And actually, I, I still play with couple of those guys to this day where did you grow yeah. up in, here in newport rhode island in rhode island and how did newport, you newport little then i lived out in middletown which is kind of like the next town over it's, yeah. it's an island it's like a little island with three towns on it yeah how did you get to boston what made you go there um i, I mean i used to go up there all the time when i was a kid in in you know um you know all my life obviously see red sox games and yeah and i asked him before like yeah, you had to wear like the Yankees hat, and I just like say to everybody, Yankees suck. Yeah. I'm at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know where they can all go, and uh, thank you. I think I'll get my world championship Red Sox hat. But no, so anyways, I went to college in Cincinnati. When I graduated, I moved to Boston uh, to go to graduate school at Boston College. That lasted a year, and I basically left there to start a rock and roll band with my friends from high school. Cool. And, um, what did you so, study in Cincinnati? What were you studying? What did you graduate? What was your degree in? Political science. Okay. It's always some form of that sociology, psychology, all creative types. They're like, I don't know what I want to be. Well, I was an art major at first, and I was the only person at Xavier University ever to get kicked out of the art department. <laughs> wow. Well, why? What did out? you do? Yeah. Oh, that's a long story for another day. <laughs> really, you're not going to long time ago in the galaxy far, far away. Uh huh. You're a different yeah, Johnny Relay then. <laughs> yeah, you know we didn't uh, exist in the same world. I totally get it. Cool. So you start a band uh, with your friends, and yeah. you're up in Boston. What's the name of that band? Well, we started out. We were called Menfolk. Like Menfolk. You know, Why Menfolk? <laughs> uh, we got it from the Beverly Hillbillies. Nice. No, you didn't. You yeah. got it from the, no, like, like hey, 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 get the men folk. Like, we just, you know, it was a, we just, I don't know. We thought it was funny yeah. at the time. In retrospect, maybe. But it was, you know, it was a, whatever. You know, it's like, it's hard to name a band. Like, you know, everybody comes in with a notebook full of names. And, like, the best ones you can't use because nobody would ever let you play in a club. Or, like, you would offend this group or that group. or and uh, Like, so one example. How, one example where you're like, that would be a, such a cool band name, but we can't use it. Uh, the Burn Ward. The Burn. Oh, the yeah. Burn Ward. Oh, yeah. Burn Ward. I get that. Yeah. That's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're not the worst one. We came up with. <laughs> I know, but uh, it's like I, on the I, tip of your tongue. <laughs> I heard a story one time. I, I don't know whether or not it's true, um, but uh, you guys did a publicity shoot uh, one time in Boston where you spray painted the name of the band Men Folk onto right. a brick wall, and, and then you guys all stood in front of it. Yes. And then later, in uh, in a Boston uh, periodical, that spray painted name showed up again. Do you remember what I'm talking about and what the periodical was? Yeah. No, it was in the it was on a calendar. It was it on was, a calendar. It was the, the gay men of Boston like calendar, and they had like you know like and it was like, <laughs> and it was done on purpose because there was some there was. A couple of people like didn't like. Well, me mostly didn't like me. I was, I was, I was. I used to drink a lot back then. I was a little, I was a little uh, more rambunctious. And uh, no, it was done as a purpose. And we were kind of like, we thought it was funny actually. Like, but then it was kind of like, um, we we sort of had to change the name. And we changed, so we basically like we'd been talking about it for a while because we weren't doing much, and. So basically, we got to a point, and some new guys came in the band from Boston, and we kind of they kind of eventually wanted to have their own identity, and so then what happened? So then I did, I got cancer for the first time, and while I was going through treatments, and they would come down and see me. It was pretty bad, but they can you know. So during that time, they're like, "Let's change the name of the band, write some new songs." So I was in the hospital one day, and. Uh, it's hard to explain without it sounding really weird, but I, I was walking down the hall and there was a woman coming out of the radiation or whatever, and she had a baby, and the baby had this like baby outfit on. So it was like black and gray, like 
kind of split in half. And I looked at it and I saw this flag. I saw this flag and I saw people marching and like, you know, Panzer tanks rolling into Russia. It was just this crazy like vision I had. And I, I was like, black and gray, that's the name of the band. We will have our own flag and everything. So that's kind of how it, you know, I'm, you know, and of course I was coming out of treatment. So I was, you know, probably a little medicated at the time. And, uh, you know, you, 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 they give you some heavy stuff when you go into cancer. Yeah. No weird crap goes through your mind. Like it does weird, you know, and, um, no, I love that. So that we, we changed the name. We started, you know, right, you know, and that's really when my songwriting really started hitting a peak. And, uh, so we pretty much we pretty much stayed that for the duration, and I got to be a part of that from the beginning until this very moment. The shows we would go to were such a blast. Those guys used to let me announce them on stage. Oh wow! Oh, it was so much fun. Hey, you want to hear a weird thing? Were you at the show? Do you remember? Our, did you ever meet our friend Dana that worked with Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Remember when we did that show? He's like, let me remember. He was a Golden Gloves box. He's like, let me introduce you, Johnny. Let me. I said, okay. So this guy, um, Matt Sandinato, you know, was the guitar player, lead guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Matt was, and he were, but me and this guy, Dana, kind of had a connection. We sort of ran together for a while, you know. But, but he was a great guy, and we did this show. And the guy gets up on stage, like, I want everybody in the club to repeat after me suck my ass. Every time. <laughs> And anyways, within about 10 seconds, he's got this entire club going, suck my ass, suck my, and we played. I just found, now this guy, Dana, like, one day he disappears when all the, you know, he just disappears one day. And I can't get a hold of him, I call him, his phone's up. I haven't seen him, now. I mean, how many years ago was that? So apparently now, look, this guy, Dana, he's the freaking president of, like, the UFC. That's Dana White, oh. that's who the guy was. Wow. And I had no idea. For like 30 years that my buddy Dana disappeared one day. I never knew what happened to him. Oh my gosh. Somebody was like, finally, like, you know, that's Dana. What do you mean? Because, you know, he's a big guy. He's bald now. I mean, he had a full head of hair and he was, you know, connections from the beginning of Latin grade are kind of coming around now. Like, it, it's a very, you there were a lot of that guy. Listen to me. You got to contact that guy and you got to say, I'm writing a theme for UFC. <laughs> I, you laugh, you laugh, but God damn it, one of these years you're going to take my advice and you're going to skyrocket. I Let's hear his first song, shall we, Maggie? Yeah, this is going to be such a fun episode because, as you mentioned, Black and Gray is the name of your band, and all five of your songs are from your band, Black and Legend of the Subatomic Man. The Legend of the Subatomic Man. <laughs> so what? It, well, how did you write the song? I, I don't remember. I think it's just one of. Legend of the Subatomic Man was just one of those ones that I just came into practice one day and just started playing it, and it just it was kind of one of those rare instances. Just came out and everybody kind of started jamming along. And I just started singing, rah, rah, you know, making nonsense syllables that I just, I don't know, the word, it was, like, every time I write it, it's different. Yeah. And I'm not, like, really, I wouldn't say I was, like, really prolific, but when I, I don't know, it's, that one was, I wish I could, I'd have 50 albums if I could write like that all the time. Right. But that was just, that was a real kind of, I had the whole gist of the thing, and, you know, it was probably one of maybe, like, less than half a dozen songs that we wrote like that we just came in one day and we started playing all of a sudden it just it sort of just came together there to me we were were good friends and we were really close so we were you know before everything got you know before everything went south like you know we were were very uh intuitive with each other yeah there's i think two different camps when it comes to being a creative person there's those that just let it flow through you like you don't ask for it it just comes and then those that really have to sit down and like work hard at it and i think everyone has a little bit of both but it sounds like this is that oh so it just was like a cloud in front of you and you you were just in it right and it just like came Uh, like you were the vessel it's just I don't know. I just, cause I'm not really like formally trained musician. So I just kind of hit things. And when something sounds good and it clicks, mm-hmm. then, uh, 
you know, probably for all my songs, I have like 50 times I sat down and tried to play something and said, you know, just mm-hmm. didn't work. Or, you know. So a lot of it's like trial and error. Yeah. And I'm like really hard on myself as a songwriter. It's, it's hard to write stuff that sits on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so who's so the- you try to leave a well-crafted song from the part of melody, from the part of the lyrics, from the part of the arrangement, whether it's simpler, you know, you, 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 you you kind of hope to have a well construction and the, the kind of artistic part will take care of itself. Who's the subatomic man? Uh, he's just this guy like um, in outer space and, and he kind of crash landed here on the, on the earth and he just, he wanted to go home. He just wanted to get the hell out of here. He didn't dig this place at all and he wanted out, but he couldn't. So it kind of, you listen to the song, sort of, the, you know, a story about how he kind of lands on earth and, and um, the video, I wish we could show the video because it's really, because what I did when I made the video, I was, um, I was going, I went back to, and got another degree a few years ago in film. That's kind of like what I'm into now. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. So when I want to make a music video for this song, like I can't get like people dressed up in space, you know, I'm doing a thing that's like, going to cost like, you know, I don't need money like, like for this. So um, I had, I was working on a film called, the Wig People, which is experimental film I made about a, a prophet from outer space who like arrives on Earth and he creates this like new race of people because he wants to he wants to save mankind from being judged and annihilated. So he kind of builds this race people to show what, what people can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was doing that, I enlisted the help of the physics department, you know, it's a URI. So I went over there one day and I met these two astrophysicists. So one guy was Bosnian and the other guy's American. And they had given me, like, they helped me build a Jacob's Ladder for the film. They gave me a bunch of props. And then the guy that had the part said, hey, you know, I've got this really cool educational film. I said, you know, from like the 60s and the 70s, a couple from the 50s. I said, cool. So, And it was all like nuclear stuff i mean just crazy like animation like like weird stuff that you would see like you know cold war scare stuff basically so i i had a ton like 80 gigabytes of footage and i took a bunch of it and made it into a music video and actually kind of wow did a story about the subatomic man tied it into like nuclear war and and um you know um annihilation of mankind that's kind of like one of my recurring themes in a lot of my stuff so it's yeah i wish you well Maybe you can get it up after. Yeah, there's a blog um, that I'll post a link to in the post of this episode, so we'll direct everyone there as well. I, I really like making existing footage, you know, and plus it doesn't cost anything. So, yeah, and it just looks cool. I couldn't like when you see the video, you see there's no way I could go out and film any of that stuff. I mean, you can't, you can't. It's just yeah, priceless. I mean, this was just stuff that's sitting around that nobody wanted to do anything with. You so s- I'm kind of like that's sort of what I hunt for now. Like people, you know, like the, the American picker guys. I'm like I'm like sort of a um, uh, existing footage picker. Yeah, found footage. Are found you- footage, right? So you said that you're a poli sci. You were a poli sci major. What What about your parents? Did this come from them, or like how did you how did you get into that? Um, I don't know. I just I need to pick a major after I get kicked out of the art school. In, uh, out of the art department. What do your and, What do your parents do, or what did they do when you were a kid? Oh, and I was a child. Well, my my father was a naval officer. Uh, my mom was a, was a housewife. We were traditional, like you know, domestic engineer. That's what my grandmother called it. Traditional, like <laughs> Beaver, Ozzie, Harriet family growing up when I was a kid. Yeah. Does that mean that you moved around a lot? I don't. No. Sort of at the tail end. I was the baby in the family, but my dad. I mean, they were they lived in Africa, and you know, he he went he went all over the world, Europe. I did get to go to England for a few years. Mm-hmm. Like they gave him a choice. It was sort of reward for years in the services. Hey, we're gonna let you go somewhere for three years, anywhere in the world you want. You wanted to go. You always wanted to go to England, so we went live there for a few years. Wow. And he he came back to Newport. So he knew that's why we were in Newport in the first place because it has a big navy base. Mm-hmm. It was a lot bigger then. We had a fleet of ships, and you know now it's all like defense contracting, and um, you know they make a lot of stuff, you know, guidance systems and submarines and all, you know, real like technical stuff. Yeah. Do you remember so much of England? How old were you about that time? Uh, 
like 10, 11, 12. Oh, yeah, I remember everything. Oh, yeah. So what was what was school like? Like what did what who was your who was your best friend in England? Did you make friends pretty easily over there? Uh, my friend when I first moved there was a guy named Jeffrey Moreland, who was another American kid who lived down the street. And he went his father was a civilian, so he went to this American school in London for like civilian. My father's military, so I went to school in an Air Force base. Mm. Like neither of us had a friend in the neighborhood and like the English kids kinda like you know, you had to be careful walking around because they knew if you're American, they just come beat you up. You know, I, I, I got beat up a few times just walking around my neighborhood. I got oh. attacked in the train station once by a couple of guys. Wow. Um, right, right in rush hour, and funny, you know, and some guy ch- literally like chased him off with an umbrella. Like, it's funny. I was terrified when I was a kid, but it's funny as hell when I think about it now. You know, the bowler hat, he's like, get away from him, get away from him. You know, he's like, chased him away. And, Wow. I just kicked in the head and going down on the platform and the guy running out and saving me. What a story. So was, you know, when I went to another school, I didn't see Kyle as much. And then I had I had a group of friends. I remember all of them. Paul Dilworth, Michael Doe, Kenny Ogden, uh, Ken Kiner. Those were like my four best buddies when I went to school there. Do and you... then, you know, sadly, I mean, we, you know, we were young then. You didn't have email. You had... Mm-hmm. And when I moved back to the States, I lost touch with, with all of them, yeah. which is kind of sad. You know, it's like, when they tell you in Stand By Me, you know, the movie Stand By Me, mm-hmm. it's the best friends I ever had in my life were the ones I had when I was 10 years old. Like, it was that kind of yeah. Stand By Me kind you know, that up at that point, that's kind of what my life was like. It was very, you know, Stand By Me, like, happy days kind of kind of yeah. thing. Was there a radio station that you could listen to while you were over there? Yeah, uh, Radio Luxembourg. Radio Luxembourg. I built, I built my own radio out of, I don't know, my parents had got me a kit uh-huh. for my birth to build a crystal radio. That was a big thing when I was a kid. Neat. Build your own crystal radio. And like, one of these cheap little plastic things at 10, and you got this little, here's the magic crystal, and you put it in. I think got like, I don't know, three stations. But I could get Radio Luxembourg, which was played everything. Yeah. Rock and roll, like, you know, um, you know, everything, uh, classical music, country music, you know, uh, foreign, you know, different countries. So, yeah, I would listen to that, like, you know, nonstop. Yeah. In my room, you know, it was a little green plastic thing. When I turned the lights off, it would glow. Yeah. yeah, Wow. So you were super. So you were connected then. It's not like you were in this abyss. No. Good. All right. Wow. All right. Well, that good. Song number one. Here we go. Song number two. I don't care how old she is. I just got to know what gets because I'm in love with the checkout. Girl. Would you be my baby? Would you be my girl? Would you dare to? Okay, so Checkout Girl, what's this song about? Someone that you know, I hope? No. <laughs> checkout, no, the Checkout Girl is one song. So when we became black and gray, um, so it was in the middle of the first time I had cancer. So I had, I had, it was pretty bad. So when I was done my treatment, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really supposed to do this, but I kind of moved to Boston and because um, I just wanted to play, you know, and... So we all ended up living in South Boston or Southie as it's affectionately known. Which um, the word grows about because uh, every movie and every TV show that's great is all like there's so much attention on South Boston. Right. One of the things I love about knowing Johnny and Black and Gray and all the guys is I got to live in that world for a little while. It was fucking amazing. Anyway, go ahead. You're living in South Boston. So we live in Southie because why we ended up there because our drummer grew up there. So, you know, we had, and it, you know, it was nice. So there was a market called Flanagan's. And what had happened is I was kind of writing some heavier stuff. And I don't know, we were fighting, like, imagine that, Earl. <laughs> we were having an argument. And my bass player, Danny, who I, he's, 
one of my best friends, he just started going like, you can't write a simple pop song. Like, he's like, why are you writing all this weird stuff? He's like, just, and I said, yeah, I could write a simple pop song. Like, that's, you know, I just don't want to. So he gave a bunch of crap. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll have one in a couple of days. And I was like, oh, shit. So I went to Flanagan's and I just saw this, you know, the, the girl who was checking me out. She's kind of cute and uh, kind of real tough. Like I can see her like she was cute, young, but like tough, like a Southie girl. Southie girls are like they're a different breed of, 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 of woman, you know, and and she was badass. Anyway, so I just I was sitting there in line. I just walked out of the store going, I'm in love with the checkout girl. And I just kind of I basically went home, wrote the song in about an hour and went to the next practice and was like, played the song, just I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Here's I'm like, stupid pop song. And then they, liked it. they were like, oh, we got to play that. We got to start playing it. So I love it. It's cute. Like, you know, I sort of wrote it as a joke and just to kind of shut my bass player up. But it's actually like, you know, it's probably the most requested song when I play it, when the band plays. It became like kind of a thing. Actually, I just played it uh, a couple weeks ago. I went to a fundraiser with mm-hmm. Boston Marathon Group yeah, that yeah. runs for, uh, they run for um, um, uh, a little kid there uh, that got killed in the Boston Marathon bombing. Mm-hmm. They kind of like team Martin, whatever, and they run for him. And uh, um, so I, I went up there and sang it for, you know, God, I saw these people from South. It was like going back into a time machine. Wow. Earl, Earl Earl would have had a blast at this thing. I love that it's like a, it's not really about someone, but it's definitely a song about having a crush on someone that's a little out of your league, probably, right? So I pose this to both of you, like, can you think of a crush that you've had on someone in your life where they're like, just a little bit out of your league? Who was that person? What's that? Who's out of my reach? You know, someone that you've had a crush on in your life. Maybe the first crush you ever had. Never materialized, but you were like, oh, I'm so obsessed. Uh, I had, I've had many of those. I, I'm, you know, when I was younger, not now. I mm. don't care now. <laughs> but, well, give me one. Uh, yeah, romantic. When I was young. I, re- I think for guys, 99 percent of our relationships. <laughs> <laughs> All right, first celebrity crush. Do you remember? I have a celebrity crush. Do you crush celebrity crush? My first celebrity crush when I was a little kid was Susan Day and the Partridge Family. Oh my God, I love <laughs> I love Susan Day, man. I had it's like you know, poster I, on the wall. You know, like my sisters would get like the Tiger Beat magazines, you know, with the, and, and I would, you know, I I they'd be like, hey, who cut out? There's a picture missing. You know, it'd be like the Partridge Family with like Susan Day's like head cut out. <laughs> That's cute. What about you, David? Uh, Ann B. Davis from the Brady Bunch. Oh, mine was <laughs> Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox was mine. No, I'm kidding. It was it was uh, it was Ann B. Davis was the maid on the Brady Bunch. Oh, <laughs> mine was Christy McNichol. Oh, that's a good one. Who is that? I don't even know. I need to look it up. You can look her up. She was like, like a teen pop star back in the '70s. Christy McNichol, cute as a button. Cute as a button. I just came across this like thing. supposed to be like the next Jodie Foster, but never, I don't know what happened to her. Yeah, she she just kind of fizzled out. Christy McNichol. Both. Both. Awesome. All these kids are going, who's Susan Day? Who's the Partridge family? You're looking up. They're like, how old I are know. These well, Michael J. Fox goes, I mean, that's like. What, family ties, yeah. Back to the future. family ties, Maggie? Um, only because my mom loved it. Same with, like, MASH and Night Court. You know, that was what was on TV at the time. So yeah. that's what she watched. That's what we watched, too. <laughs> and then, of course, Back to the Future. Which, let me tell you, if you've talked to someone in their 20s lately, they don't know that movie franchise. They don't get it. And it's not part of their pop culture vernacular at all, which is sad to me. I've never felt older in my life. Anyway. Check out girl. She's cute. Two and a half men is what they'll win. I have a video for that. All these, because I thought it was a video. I was, I've never done this before, so I wasn't sure. So that's why that's why I sent links to videos, because I thought that, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to go off. I didn't mean to go off program here. 
No, this is great. This is super great. Let's play. Let's play song number three, shall we? Which um, you have Don't You Worry. That's what you picked. This is your song number three. Song number three comes from Black and Gray called Don't You Worry. Why did you pick this song? Um, I just I just like the song. Well, I thought it was video thing too, and it's like a cool video. It's another existing footage video. Yeah. Um, so I played, but no, I just this is I just I really like this song. You know, it's kind of another one of the more, kind of more pop songs I wrote. Mm-hmm. Johnny, were you saying that there was some sort of weird story that goes in with a video to this song? Something creepy What's and that eerie. story? Well, so originally when I went to make the music video for this, I had it all scripted out. What was going to happen is I was going to be kind of like lurking in an alley. And I had, I mean, I had the sets, I had everything picked out. And then the car would come in and a prostitute would get out who had just been, you know, with the guy in the car. So she gets out. I see the prostitute and kind of eyes me. The song starts. And I start singing to her in the alley, the song. Then I grab, then I was going to grab her and pull her through. I had a green screen I that's going to pull her through like a portal. We came out on the other side. We were going to be at the homecoming dance. And we were going to be like the king and queen and all dressed up. So, the, you know, and I had this big, it was going to be a high school homecoming, like, dance scene, you know. And I had, you know, I was lining everybody up. And what would happen, the climax of the song is we go to kiss. She pushes me away, runs back through the portal. I chase her. We go back in the alley. She's 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 a prostitute again, and she looks back, and another car pulls up and drives away, and I'm in the alley like sad. That was kind of like, and it's kind of I don't want, I don't it's one of the songs I really like talk about a lot, but that's kind of what it's about. <laughs> and um, so what happened? I was the logistics of it. I. When I was working on this, I got sick again. I think that, that might have been the second time I had cancer. And I just basically, I didn't have money. You know, I was in school. So I, so I was, what I had done, I bought a copy of the movie On the Town with Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra and Frank. Um, Frank. <laughs> and anyways, so what I wanted to do, because the people going to be in the movie, I wanted them to dance in that style. I wanted it to look like a 50s dance movie. And, you know, I mean, I was, I was going to the URI theater department, getting all the costuming and everything, but then it was, so my, I was with my nephew, came to visit me, my nephew, Robbie, and we're kind of up on, you know, night, it's like three o'clock in the morning, and showing thing, he goes, hey, like, shits and giggles, just play, play your song, and then just put the, the movie on you, and I found kind of this dancing, and we put it on, and we're like, did you see what I see? He's like, I go, it kind of fits. So basically... I told around with it in the clip, whereas Legend of the Southern Tongue Man is different film clips that I edited together. This is a continuous clip from a dance in the movie, with not interrupted, not doctored, not changed. I didn't change the speed, nothing. Wow. And I mean, it goes from start to finish. This clip matches the song. I mean, beyond what Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon does with Wizard of Oz. Yeah. There's parts when he says the lyrics. I mean, there's a part when can you look into my eyes and he has the picture of her and he goes like that. And I mean, we were just like, we were just like blown away. And it's what? like another thing. Like I, I would, I was hoping like Warner Brothers would like sue me or something. For, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm wrong to sue me. And they're like, why? Because I'm going to ask them for a job. You know, like I, I thought it would, but you know, like like most of my stuff, it's it's vastly ignored. You know, like. I have my hardcore buddies like Dave, you know, who I send my new stuff to when I have it. And, yeah. But it just, I mean, watch the video and really like kind of listen to the lyrics. I, I, I should have the lyrics on the page, but you kind of follow in it. I mean, it goes along with the song. I mean, I couldn't have. That's so cool, though. Was, what a happy accident. Yeah. So it if... was just a really odd, like, you know, some, so I scratched the whole video. I said, dude, this is like. This is like, you know, a sign from God or something. I mean, this, it just, I mean, to the end of the song, the clip in the movie kind of fades out with an iris, like a closing eye. I mean, right in time with the song. It's crazy. So if you, 
go on, you know, people follow the links, you know, if they're interested at all. Yeah. I mean, let me ask you this. Um, as a singer songwriter, what is the difference between having long term, rabid local fans? And I've been to shows, Johnny, you know, they were like life once in a lifetime experience throwdowns, you know, big shows that you guys did. What is the difference between having that kind of notoriety versus let's say you go on an international arena tour? Does that is that something that plagues you? You don't sleep at night or uh, like what where are you satisfied? With your when I when I have when I when I make some money, I never I, I was like I never really wanted to be a rock star. I, I hate the whole celebrity. Like I don't, I don't like being the center of attention. Really, like I'm really so. That's why, like especially in the early days, like I was always wasted when I played because it's only way I get in stage. Oh, I because you know that. Remember when I get so nervous, and the band would go on. They'd be Johnny, Johnny, and I'd be in the can because I'd always, I'd always get nervous, and I'd, I'd be, I'd be sitting in the like can in the club, and they, you know, they'd be calling me out to the stage. I'd be like. Oh, you know, and of course, I'd have to do the like walk of shame from the bathroom to the stage. So, you know, after a while, if I, you know, kind of drank enough, I was like, fine. I didn't, I didn't get as nervous, but I really, but yeah, I mean, the biggest disappointment, I mean, I, I'm not disappointing myself as an artist because I mean, I, I just wrote a song a couple weeks ago that it's, I, I love it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's kind of really good getting back to sort of my Beatlesy roots, roots kind of thing. And like, I'm, you know, I'm writing songs and I always have that I like that make me happy. And I, and I know they're good and, and I don't care that like about big figures, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I would, I would like to make some money somehow from it. You know, I, I would have <laughs> liked to got to the point where, you know, when we, you know, that we could have toured or like actually sold some records or something where I would be, you know, have some money coming. And now like, I mean, not I need to be like a gazillionaire or anything. I'm not. I don't have a lot of, you know. I, yeah. I, I, really, I, you, you are a person in my life, Johnny, that uh, is, there was a period of time where our friendship peaked because we lived together, we hung out together, we went to go to ACDC down the Worcester Centrum, had so many house parties and everything like that, but it, it was a chunk of time. And then, you know, I get into cross comedy and then I get out to LA and New York and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we still have mutual friends, and I'm so grateful we stayed together. I never knew you had stage fright until you just said that. I never, I just thought that you were kind of like a guy who's in the zone all the time. That shocked me that you were, that you would say that you had that kind of problem or that kind of challenge, I guess is a better way to say it. Let me go down this road really quick before we go to song number four. As a guy who's been fighting deadly cancer for Fucking 20 years? How many years have you been fighting deadly cancer? I first got it when I was 29. I'm 57 now, and I'm about, what, seven months removed from the last one, which was stroke cancer, which I, I, I just thank God that they can still sing. I thought I was going to, I thought they were going to cut everything out. And uh, I actually did, I mean, the treat, this was the worst one. I mean, I had stomach cancer. That was a walk in the park compared to this last one. This one was just, it took a lot out of me. Um, but, you know, whatever. I mean, it just way people have worse than I ever did. So I don't, you know. I don't know about that. I think you're probably, I think you're pretty much up there and, in, 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 you know, the higher echelons of survival. Um, this may be corny. And if you don't want to answer the question, you know, is there is there anything you take away from that experience? You know, people have many different paths in life. What's what has been the, the most you've learned from living a life, you know, with recurring bouts of cancer? And yeah, plus all the other. There's a lot of other stuff in between. Uh, I, honestly, what I take out of this is the last time around or in the last life, I pissed off the wrong person, man. I said something. I said something. To somebody I shouldn't have, man. I got thrown in, into all this, you know. So. But you're I still here. Yeah, I'm, you know. Uh, How do you deal with it mentally? Is there any anything when you're like, okay, well, here we go again. Uh, time to get out the puzzles or, you know, time to... I, anything that you do? Um, mostly music. Um, I got 
more physical. Like I got a physical trainer that's helped me a lot because a lot of problems too. I have a congenital spinal defect and sort of uh, and which has been kind of real painful thing. So, but that, that that's the two biggest things that happened is is I got a really good trainer and I got um, Chopa Tough and I got um, this new medicine they, they developed about 10 years ago, these injections that they put my spinal cord, which mm-hmm. basically were really good, you know, and I haven't had one in three years now, which is like amazing. Wow. Oh, really? So they, they, they can actually decrease the amount of, of shots you get? With, with good results yeah but yeah but not if i just said it's because i work with the trainer to work on oh. certain i mean they can't they never could really do surgery and they can't like one of my legs is crooked they can't straighten that out but i can work on the muscles so i can learn how to compensate for it like you know, you know you said- when we used to play catch i'd always look kind of to the left a little bit throw straight because my whole body's kind of off like sometimes I talk to people like that and they think I'm being weird and it's just kind of like the, my body orients itself in weird ways sometimes. You uh, you obviously have a connection to your, your art, you know, in many different facets that carries you. Is there a person or persons that represented to you during your journey with your illnesses that stands out as like, is there another human being that comes to mind that is a support to you? Uh, just a lot of friends, family, uh, you know, there's been a lot of people, that, you know, just, I have a really, I have a really great family. Um, help me out a lot. And, you know, my mom's helped me out a lot. Um, you know, I'd probably be out in the streets if it wasn't for them. Yeah. You know, and I, I have a lot of good friends and, you know, I'm kind of back in my home, you know, I mean, I, I'm still friends with people that, you know, my high school friends are like, still like my best friends. Like we're all. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they're all kind of, they all kind of grew up and got real jobs and stuff and I didn't. So, but, you know, they all have kids now and it's, it's funny, you know, I'm kind of like the last of the Mohicans. So it's, they call you uncle Johnny. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of my friends, kids call me uncle. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I mean, I have a lot of my own too. I've got, I got a bunch of nieces that now I have great nieces and nephews. Wow. And I'm actually, I have three three of my nephews that are these little like blonde here blue eyed guys. They all they all look like me when I was little. It's somehow like part of my DNA got through to them and so it's funny, but yeah. We're gonna do a little film. You'll have to check out my website. It's called New England Vice. Okay. I'm doing like a little booth with little kids called New England Vice based on Miami Vice. Yeah. Perfect. So, you know, that's the, the you know probably that's one thing that the kids have kept me going you know the kids because you want to kind of you want to be around and like they give you a lot of energy and you know um yeah you know i've been fortunate to have friends you know a lot of friends that kids you know i got I, i'm i actually probably get along with kids better than adults so I like me know. too me too yeah absolutely it's, it's a good segue into something before thank you yeah. good segue <laughs> Bye. my album that I'm going to hopefully get out this year. Uh, name of the record is going to be called When God Comes for Your Soul. And this is this song is called I Will Be Your Light. Um, and this is actually in the my movie. I use this in my movie, The Wig People. So the the video for this is, you know, it's kind of one of your basic videos, sort of like us playing in the studio interspersed with uh, scenes from the movie. Cool. Like it's a real, kind of cool. It's, you know, it's like, you know, not every video I make is going to be some, you know, going to be Apocalypse Now or like, you know, so sometimes you just, but I mean, it works for the song, I think, the video, and it's just, it's a very, uh, I, I like it. So th- this is, this is kind of more of a driving, kind of very more ethereal kind of sounding song, you know, simpler. Give us yeah. a timeline, Johnny. These songs that this particular song is going on your new album, what year whereabouts did the black and gray collaboration actually end and then you continuing on kind of as a a solo singer songwriter and you've had different incarnations of bands over there so about what time did the black and gray period end what year i want to say it was like 97 98 so i don't know it got you know i know you you were lucky you weren't around just got kind of crazy then like 97 90 
And I kind of kept it going because remember we, and we had Jeff in the band for a while and Will was playing with us. And then that, then that guy came in and then we had Joe Sack, you know, we sort of kept the band going and I had actually had a lineup, which was a really good lineup. We'd written some new, like heavier stuff, had a really top notch lineup. And we played the show up in Boston the place was packed. People went shit out. So we went to practice the next week and the drummer was gone. And I mean, gone, like in the answer's phone, went to his house, his apartment was cleaned out, his car, everything was gone. Like the next day, we never heard from the guy again. Wow. So then we had, uh, you know, so basically that's kind of when everything fell apart. It was, it just, you know, plus there's a lot of other crap going on and, and, uh, yeah. And it was it was just a crazy time. So it just that's kind of when it disintegrated. And then I kept playing solo for yeah. I just played like I said solo. And then when I moved to Cape Cod, that's when I started kind of putting this album that I'm still working on. Like I don't know what, fourteen years later, it's taking me longer to make this record than Axl Rose took to make the Guns N' Roses album. <laughs> so and so what plus is you you school and all of that stuff. So you've been keeping busy, but just. Uh... We're going to see another resurgence. Another chapter is about to open up. And yeah. what is, and what is I will be your light? What is this one about? Is this one personal in any way? Kind of. No, it's just more. It's just more about you know. Um, it's just kind of a song about hope, I guess. I it's kind of, you know, it's uh, it's it's just about it's about reaching out to, you know, someone who thinks all is lost and despair, saying no, there's you know, you know, there's some, there is someone out in the universe that cares about you let's play your fifth song and i've got one more wrap-up question for you a bunch of phony assholes this is my war this is my war so this is this is called this is my war now this is actually a live show this is the first show we played after the first time i had a cancer wow it wasn't really supposed to be playing. So this is this is kind of, this is a more... Uh... So out of all the songs that you could have brought, because it sounds like there's several albums, why this one? Why did you pick this song? Well, I was trying to do like a little assortment. Mm-hmm. And I want to have something, you know, uh, I, wanna, I just want to have at least like kind of one live. So you can kind of like, because we were, at, we were, we were, you know, when we were, and our, you know, in our kind of peak, we were very tight, you know, and you just kind of, you can kind of hear that in that song. And it's just, a, it's funny. I haven't played that song probably since the nineties. And it's, uh, I mean, the fortunate thing that I found that majority of my music and stuff that I wrote years ago, like still kind of holds up. And yeah. It's sort of like, I mean, even on this album, I'm, I mean, there's going to be stuff on the next album that I wrote years ago, but it yeah. holds up and nobody heard it. I always say that content never expires. Now, have you ever had someone come up to you and say, wow, I'm so glad that you wrote that song. It touched me. It was so important to me in this way. Have you ever had that experience with a fan before? Not, not really. I mean, like friends of mine, you know, who've liked it and said, oh, I can relate to that. And like, but no, I've never really had that kind of moment where like, you know, the person was like, oh my God, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my experience, I... Uh... I, I met the band and I met Johnny and I met these guys that shared an apartment that kind of like had these REM influences. Yeah. Uh, stuff like Prince. Do you remember that night when we were cranking tunes and we were do- undercover the knives and we used to beat the shit out of each other in this living room as we dance around to this really eclectic, you know, pairings of music. And, um, and then, a lot of your audience were blue collar Southie guys and girls. Yeah. When we got, we moved over there, you know, and, and, and I, I, you know, I'm going to make it my business to, uh, you know, share the library with uh, people that I know that are producing more so than I've ever done before. Cause I don't know your niche audience, you've reached them. And I think they're people, your friends and, and your friends represent a cross section of so many different people. But it's 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 beautiful music for blue collar mm-hmm. listeners. Sounds you know? like people who work hard but play equally as hard. Yeah, that need the reasons. little bit of hope and that like 
fuck yeah, I can do this attitude that you have brought to this show. So thank you for that. It's like, hey, uh, I'll, tell, I'll say this. I'm not being patronizing. I dropped out of college because a guy in a very successful show invited me to be in a show in Boston. And I dropped out of college because the opportunity was beyond anything I could imagine I would have gotten from college. And I got to Boston, and that guy ghosted me. And I did not get in that show. And I was carrying, like, I have just made the biggest mistake in my life. Wow. Black and Gray, Johnny Rely, the lyrics in that band saved my life. So if you haven't heard that from somebody sincerely, you did save my life because I was in a very vulnerable place. I might have gone back to Ithaca and just got my job at fucking Penny's Back or something like that. It was like I was, I was really on the precipice. And within just a few short weeks, you know, um, I was going to your shows. We were rocking and rolling. Our friend Chris Warford, rest his soul, came into our lives. And the rest is, as they say, history, you know. Don't forget Wanda the Whisker Biscuit, you know, mm-hmm. the Gulf War we went through. It's like this is this. These are, these are the songs of my life. And I'll, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I'll end it with that. That's and people that are going to hear these songs, Johnny, yeah. on y 2 I want our listeners to really dig in because this is available material. This is not copywritten. This is right here from the I, creator. Thank you for sharing these songs. I This has been a really cool episode in a very different way, and I have very much enjoyed them. <laughs> so that being said, let's take um, an emotional break and let David or Waterman take over with a game we call Band Name or Barn Name. right johnny it's time now for the show portion which is a game show um the name of the game show is is well it's got a lot of different names because every time i introduce it i seem to call it something different but essentially the name of the game is is this the name of the bar or is this the name of the band and you johnny Reli, as a person who's played in a band in bars for most of your life you should be a ringer and work in bars (laughs) And you worked in bars. Right now, we're going to take you to San Diego, California. And uh, you're going to imagine that you, me, and Maggie are hanging out. And I'm going to say to you, hey, Johnny, I want to take you guys to uh, the club Tribal Seeds. And uh, they got food, too. It's really great drinks. Tribal Seeds. Because we're going to go see this band called Noble Experiment. Okay. But I could just as easily say, Johnny, let's go down and get a drink at Noble Experiment. We're going to meet Maggie there because Tribal Seeds are playing. Now, your job is, which is the name of the band and which is the name of the bar? Is Tribal Seeds the name of the band or the bar? Or is Noble Experiment the name of the bar or the name of the band? Now, Johnny, he does this on his own, so I have no idea. I have no idea. Tribal Seeds? Tribal Seeds and Noble Experiment. Which is the band and which is the bar? I'm going to say um, Tribal Seeds tribal. is that weird, like, Earth Cafe kind of. I was like, Tribal Seeds is the bar and Noble Gas or whatever is the band. That's what I think, too. Okay. Wait, so your Noble Experiment is the, the band? Yeah. Okay. Well, if you're in San Diego, which is, by the way, another Navy town, I think you probably knew that, um... You would be at a swanky speakeasy tucked behind a secret door in the neighborhood eatery that serves craft cocktails and has great live music. Located at 777 G Street in San Diego, California, you are sitting in Noble Experiment. (gasps) Oh, man. The band playing Tribal Seeds is a reggae band in San Diego that was formed in 2005 by the Jacob Brothers. Singer Steven and producer Tony Ray, the group issued its debut album, Youth Rebellion, the same year in 2005. So I'm sorry you didn't guess correctly, but everybody wins on band name or bar name because Johnny Reli, Johnny Reli, now your job is to take Y-Tune Shuffle somewhere in the world, anywhere in the world, so that our next guest can play band name or bar name. Where are we going to go next time? Thinking very hard, Johnny, we'd love to hear the story of your very first concert experience. I was 14 and we went to see Aerosmith and 
Styx was the opening band. We didn't really like Styx. <laughs> <laughs> we thought they were kind of effeminate, but we loved Aerosmith. Yeah. Ross came out. And it was actually notable. I was 14. We were all 14, except Willie was 15. Mm-hmm. And um, it was our first concert. And it was great because you would go went to the Providence Civic Center. It was one of those things. It was everyone kind of went in. And as soon as, you know, this is the 70s, as soon as the lights dimmed, you would just see literally like, you know, 10,000 lighters, like click, click, click. Everybody would light. So like when it, it was funny because whenever the, they would go between the bands, that first band finished, the lights came back on, like the whole place was like a Cheech and Chong movie. So, nice. You know, and people smoking cigarettes, people like, when Aerosmith came on, their first song was Back in the Saddle. So we were kind of sad. We all ran down. And there were, you know, floor seats. I know. I I, was, I ended up on a chair, and I was dancing on a chair. And I remember the show, and I fell. And mm-hmm. there was this kind of older girl. I mean, I was fourteen. She was probably like, you know, sixteen or seventeen. But that's kind of big. And yeah. anyways, it was kind of like movies. So anyways, I don't know what happened. I got knocked. They fell off the chair, and I kind of reached out to stop from falling. And of course, I grabbed, you know, a hold of like her melons. The first thing I could and uh like trying to grow it but you know what i mean i just i was just you didn't think about it. you just grab something to keep from falling so i'm on the chair hanging off her like this oh my gosh and he kind of looks down and my friends are all like oh you know you know 14 year old boy they're all like going like and she just kind of like grabbed me put me back up on the chair and i still got my hand on she kind of took my hands off her and went like you okay and i'm like yeah and then you know, I mean, that happened today. You, you, you get, like, get arrested. You know what I mean? Like, people were just so much more chill. I mean, because it was a total, like, innocent mistake. But that, I'll never forget my first concert. Oh, but still, yeah, the whole ride home. They were like, you touched boobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we, were all, like, we were all, like, in the car, you know, because, like, yeah. we, have, we were Providence. So one of our parents, mm. they take turns. We all live in the same neighborhood. The yeah. parents would take turns. That's and, great. You know, we're all in the car and the home, like, <laughs> that's great what about uh, that's a great story what about the last show that you went to last music you saw live last music what was the last show i saw the last i mean i've seen some local stuff like that but the last like big show i saw was probably one of the best three shows ever seen in my life it was stone roses at madison square garden the only show they played in the united states wow of course, I'm in Rhode Island. I can be in downtown Manhattan in like less than four hours in the car, you know, depending on traffic. Yeah. But I went my friend Timmy, who played, who was actually in Menfolk, and him and I, we still play like we've been working on. Some, he's going to play the, one of my shows in May. Cool. Very cool. He lives in Connecticut, so I went down and I turned him and his wife on the Stone Roses, and they were they're just blown away. That was that was the last, and. I kept waiting for cell phone video because we had the first row in the second second, you know, Madison Square Garden, the first ring. We had front seats in that. Wow. And we were on the aisle. So I kind of went down the railing. I think I like danced that whole show. That's and great. I kept looking at it. Somebody like got me on their cell phone, like, look at this idiot that's going around. And, you know, I never saw it. That, yeah. that was the last really, that was, they are like one of the most amazing bands that ever, ever, ever played rock and roll. And just, it just, you know, it's one of these bands you love for years, but they haven't played, you know, and you keep saying, oh, they're playing in Glastonbury, they're playing in Paris, they're playing, right. you know, and they come, come to the United States, play like one show in Madison Square Garden, and they don't even sell out, which is, you know, because hmm. Americans, like, they, you know. We don't know good music. It's just amazing, you know, I, and I saw Blur there the year before. Cool, yeah. Um, they did That's a name I haven't heard. Yeah, they played Hollywood Bowl in Madison Square Garden. That was their whole U.S. tour. Wow. Johnny, this has been really great. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your energy with us on this show. You dropped a website earlier. If someone wants to reach out and learn more about you and your music or talk music with you, how do we find you? What's your corner of the internet? Well, I have a Vimeo and a YouTube page. And they're both R-E-L-Y, Relay 9, the number 9. So I have videos on there. I have also a website, Reli9films.com. Perfect. Yeah, between all those, I have a ton of stuff. You know, I have Facebook pages. Uh, um, I have a black and gray Facebook page. Perfect. I have, you know, I have a, a Reli9 Films Facebook page. I'm not, I'm not hard to find. There's nobody cool. ever looks for me. 
There is a blog with all of the music, and um, that way you can see all the videos that Johnny Relay was talking about as well. David Earl Waterman, thank you so much for being the best co-host ever. I've been Maggie Mayfield. What a find. What a, what a great episode. And um, I've been Maggie Mayfield. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, and share. We're on all the social platforms. You can find the blogs there as well with all the music videos as well. At Y Tunes Shuffle. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Y Tunes Shuffle.